We're going to read from Matthew chapter 28, so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. Today we're concluding a short series looking at God's purposes for us as followers of Jesus and as a church. We've summarized those purposes under the words worship, grow, and go. We worship God, we grow in Christ or grow to become like Christ, and we go. That's what today's message is about, third word, go. God's purpose for us is that we go and make disciples, which is an instruction that comes from Matthew 28. So what we're going to be doing is focusing on that instruction in verses 19 and 20, but we're going to read the whole chapter for context. So let's do that. Let's read from Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. This is after the women who went to Jesus' tomb. It starts with the women who went to Jesus' tomb on, on the day after the Sabbath. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. (laughs) And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. That means that you're with us now. You're with us to the end of the age, in every age. And so, Lord, we call on you and your great authority to come and open up our hearts now and 
speak to your people and encourage and enliven us and show us again how beautiful, how great it is to have been called into your kingdom. And if there are those this morning who have not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good, may you grant them that grace even this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out by showing you a map of the land of Israel. So I hope we've got it. There it is. This is ancient Israel. And I want to point out something that serves as an analogy for the Christian life. So focus your attention on the two water bodies that are in that map. They're in the valley that runs north and south through the center of the, of the country. What you have there is you have the Jordan River that starts at the very top, flows south into the Sea of Galilee. And you know the Sea of Galilee was the, was the area of Jesus' ministry. It's, a, it's alive. It's got fish in it. That's where Peter and, and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. And because it's, a, it's a, a full of fish and it's a, a living place, that's where a lot of people come. And Jesus had a lot of ministry in that area. Well, then from the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River keeps on flowing south until it reaches the Dead Sea. And that's where it ends, because the Dead Sea has no outlet. The shores of the Dead Sea are 1,410 feet below sea level. There's no place for the water to go. It's the lowest point on land in the world. So what happens is the water goes down there, and then it just stays there and evaporates, and it leaves behind all the minerals and salts so it's the saltiest body of water in the world. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It's too salty. Nothing but some hardy bacteria. There's no fish in it. There's no plants in it. Which is why it's called the Dead Sea. So what you have is the same water flows into the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, but the Sea of Galilee is alive while the Dead Sea is dead. And the only difference between these two is that one has an outlet and the other one doesn't. Here's the analogy. The Christian life is the same way. You need both an inlet and an outlet in order to have a fruitless, fruitful life. You need the fountain of living waters to flow into you by God's Spirit and God's Word and you also need those living waters to flow out from you in ministry to others. God's purpose for us is to have both. That's reflected in Jesus' instruction, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, outlet, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, inlet, he poured three years of his life into the disciples, and now it's time for them to pour out their lives into others. Many texts say similar things. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2, I will bless you and make your name great, inlet, so you will be a blessing, outlet. To the disciples in Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, inlet, give without pay, outlet. 
to the crowds in John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, inlet, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Outlet. That's the Christian life, friends. It's you receiving life from God in worship and fellowship with other believers, and it's you being a conduit of life to flow out to others in service and witness. But you know what our tendency is, don't you? It's to have an inlet but no outlet. We can take comfort in the good news for ourselves, but we don't always want to bring that good news to other people. And that may be why our Christian life can sometimes feel lifeless and dead, because like the Dead Sea, good water comes in, but no water is going out. And I think the Lord wants each of us to be like the Sea of Galilee, full of life, with the inlet of his grace flowing to us through Jesus and the outlet of going and making disciples. This passage is to encourage us in that direction. What we're going to do is look at the command. What is it? And then we'll spend our time on motivations, encouragements, truths that Jesus gives us so that we can actually do it. Because he knows, even for the disciples, it wasn't easy They also liked having an inlet and no outlet. (laughs) But he says, no, you need the outlet. And this is for your good. This is for your joy. This is so that you can be a fruitful person and not be like the Dead Sea. And then at the end, we're going to talk about some practical things that we can do. We have some materials to get into your hands. Let's begin with describing the command The command is, go and make disciples of all nations. I'll read that again, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what does he mean? Basically this, go and bring non-believers into the same life I've given you. That's what it is. Go and tell them about me. Seek to win them to faith in Christ. Then walk with them until they're growing. (laughs) Until they're also seeking to go and make disciples. That's the command. He speaks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Baptism is the sacrament that's intended to happen at the beginning stages of the Christian life. We're saying publicly, I'm joined to Jesus. He's my hope. He died and rose again. I also have died to my old life, and I've risen again with him, and I have the expectation that I will rise with him bodily one day. That's the baptism, and that happens on the front end, usually, it's, it's a, so before baptism, you've got to have evangelism, right? At some point, somebody's got to tell you, you have to read it, that Jesus is the answer, that he's the savior of the world, that I can be forgiven my sins, and you believe it, and then you're baptized. You're making that statement, right? So it starts with witness, it starts with evangelism, and then there's this public statement that happens in baptism. He doesn't end there, though. He says, you teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you're not just getting people to believe in Jesus, but you stick with them 
teaching them the word of God and to obey it. You walk with people until their lives change, until they're doing what God says that we should do. And that implies a church setting, this teaching element, because as we saw last week in Ephesians 4, that's the community in which growth happens, because that's where God has given pastors and teachers, among the other gifts there, to the church so that we might all grow. But remember, it's the whole body that builds itself up in love, so we need each other as well to instruct each other as well. So we need both sermons and we need conversations. The body, the church, is the place, the venue for which growth happens, where discipleship happens. It's assumed that there's a church setting involved here. The church is the place where disciples are to be made. So we look at all of the stuff that we do now, the Sunday morning, the discipleship groups, our outreach events. That's how we make disciples here. Those are the things we're doing. Now, how do we go and make disciples? It's telling about Jesus it's enfolding them into the life of the church. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's what it is. Now, I think that's familiar to most of us. I think we get that. Uh, the hard part is the doing of it. <laughs> the hard part is finding courage, especially to go to those who don't believe in Christ. To speak to non-believers about Jesus. To be active in actually winning somebody over to him. That's where I think the hard part is. So there's a lot of fears associated with that. Um, you know, I'm afraid they're going to reject me. I'm afraid they're going to mock me. I'm afraid this is going to end the friendship. I'm afraid I might get in trouble. There's a lot of fear involved in making that, that, that jump into that world or maybe it's just, I don't care enough. Um, it doesn't seem that urgent to me. I'm pretty comfortable, and I like it that way. There's a lot of things that can keep us from going and making disciples. So that's why we need to look at Matthew 18, or Matthew 28 again here. Because Jesus says some things here, and the, and the narrative tells us some things here, that are for our encouragement, that you can... <laughs> You can be involved in this, and if you are involved in this, this is life-giving to you. This is how you are the Sea of Galilee and not the Dead Sea in your fruitfulness. So there's stuff here that will help us to have an outlet. So we're going to look at three truths that if we really lay hold of them will give us courage to go and make disciples. The first truth is this, which is that the news itself is amazing. The good news about Jesus is actually very amazing. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the news that Jesus rose from the dead. Beginning verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. That's supernatural. I mean, Jesus had been beaten, whipped, crucified, staked to a cross. He died there. The soldiers proved it by piercing his side with a spear. And there was no reaction except water and blood flowed out. 
He was dead. They watched it happen. They, they took his body down. They wrapped it. They put him in a tomb. He was gone. And yet, there he is. <laughs> the one you seek who was crucified, that Jesus, he's alive. He's not in this tomb. He, he has conquered death. He has come back. He has done what nobody can do. I mean, if you and I go to a funeral, we have never seen anybody come back from the dead at a funeral, okay? You know, we can picture it now because we have movies and we have CGI and there's ways to make that kind of thing happen in a movie. So in a way, we think, oh, yeah, I could see that. But you've never actually seen it. (laughs) You don't do that. Jesus did that. And because he did, that means... Death isn't the end. Not for Jesus and not for you if you're a disciple of Jesus. Because he said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The good news about Jesus is that you trust in him as Savior, you will live forever. You will die physically, just as Jesus did. But you will also rise in a new immortal body, never to die again, just as Jesus did. And your life won't be just the same life you have now, except that it never ends. It will be a totally better life, a perfect life, the life you wish you could have, actually better than that. It's unimaginable how good it will be. No sadness, no pain, nothing to threaten you, nothing to ever ruin your happiness, just endless joy forever, which is the kind of life Jesus is enjoying. It was said in Hebrews 12 too that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is full of joy that will never be touched and will never turn to sorrow. That's perfect life. And that's what you will get if you trust in Jesus as your Savior. And isn't that what we want more than anything in the world? Don't we want the perfect life? Shannon and I saw a documentary on Friday. It just came out in theaters. It's called Free Solo. It tells the account of a man named Alex Honnold who did something absolutely breathtaking last year. He climbed El Capitan in Yosemite without ropes or safety gear, just climbing with his hands and his feet and a bag of chalk. That's called free soloing, hence the name of the movie. El Capitan is 3,200 feet of vertical granite. It's so hard that even people who climb with ropes can't always do it. And he did it without ropes and without any kind of safety mechanism, like a parachute or something. Just hands and feet. It's so dangerous that nobody's ever tried to do it before. Because it requires 
no mistakes <laughs> for the entire distance. One mistake is certain death. That's why nobody's ever tried to do it, but he did it last year. I wanted to see the movie because I like things that are related to mountains, but also I wanted to know what drives a person to take such phenomenal risks. And though his reasons were complex, there was two that stood out to me. One was a, a sense of self-loathing, that he wasn't the person that he knew he wanted to be. And the other was this desire to experience perfection. Because when you can free solo one of those mountains, in that moment, he experienced perfection of a sort. Because you can't have one mistake. And so when he climbs successfully, he f- experiences that moment of perfection, physical perfection. But to him, that's the ideal. That's the perfect life. We may not be willing to go to those kind of extremes in our own lives, but I think we want the same thing that he did. We want to experience perfection. We want to experience the perfect life. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead means we can. Not just for four hours, which is how long it took him to climb that, but for eternity. Not just a physical perfection, but a real perfection in every way. No more sin. (laughs) Not even a, a, a wanting of sin. Free from trials. Free to enjoy perfect life in a perfect, renewed earth with a perfect Savior. It's ours through faith in Jesus. The alternative is eternal death. Eternal punishment for our sins against God. Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, God's standard is like Alex climbing El Capitan with no ropes. You have to do it perfectly or you die. His standard is perfection. 99.999% is not good enough. One sin can condemn you. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you will live. Because he has a 100%. And he gives it to you by faith. And that allows you to enter perfect eternal life. The news is amazing. That's the starting point here. <laughs> we need to enjoy that for ourselves and make it and, and, and just think about the truth of it. This really is the difference between life and death. Jesus is the hinge of everything. And so when we look at the world around us, we think, yeah, people look happy. They're doing all kinds of fun things. But this is where life is. This is the only place where eternal life is. It's in Jesus. And you have it, but they don't have it. And so it gives us some kind of motivation. But also, I think that it has to spring from joy. Joy is what has to compel us. Um, You know, Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. You know, he knew God's love for him, and he loved him back. There was this relationship that compels him. Joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And I think as we have that outlet where we actually tell people, it does help us to enjoy and remember the good news for ourselves. When we see what they're trying to hold on to versus what we know. It helps us to enjoy it ourselves. A couple weeks ago, I, I met four guys who were traveling evangelists. All they do year-round is go from one college to another preaching to crowds and sometimes like in public places like shopping malls. And people hate them for it. <laughs> they, people oppose them all the time, heckle them, whatever they can do. And you might think, well, then they must be kind of beaten down and sad and just frustrated with how terrible the world is. These guys were full of joy. These, these guys were full of joy. I, I, one of them said, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to go out, but I've never once regretted doing it. <laughs> and they go into the hard places. And they preach boldly. One guy was doing it for nine years. It brings joy. And I've found that to be true. When I've gotten up the courage and shared Jesus with anybody, I never regret doing that. That's always a good day. <laughs> and it's especially a good day if they actually listen and are interested and the door is open for more. That's like a super good day. Nothing, good el- nothing else has to happen that day for that to be a good day. There's joy in having an outlet. <clears throat> We have amazing news. We want to live in the good of it. And that will give us joy and courage to go make disciples. Here's another thing that will. It's knowing that Jesus sends us with his full authority. He sends us out with his full authority. Back to verse 18. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Right? Go and make disciples because... I have all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, the one who gives the command also has the authority to make it succeed. Jesus is not just sending us out on a mission saying, good luck, I hope it works. (laughs) No, he says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. When you go into the world, you're going into my territory. You're going into the places where I'm in charge. You're not going on your own authority. You're going on my authority. I have authority to make sure that disciples get made from all nations. It might be helpful to take a brief survey of what Jesus has authority over (laughs) so that we can feel the impact of that. What does all authority look like? I'll just pick a few verses here. Um. few ideas. Jesus, number one, has authority to require belief and obedience. He has the authority to require belief and obedience from everybody. Matthew 7, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he was out talking, people were like, that sounds like you're the authority. Like, this is coming from you and not just from passing it down from so on and so on and so on. But, like, you're the one telling me this, and you're saying I must believe it. He has that kind of authority because he speaks from God. Jesus has authority to heal any illness or injury. Matthew 9, to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. He can say to disease and injury, whatever paralyzed this guy, be gone. And it does. Authority over illness and injury. He has the authority to control all the physical forces of nature. He stills the storm on the Sea of Galilee while the disciples are in the boat. And they say, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? (laughs) He can change the weather at a command. The physical world is his servant to do what he wills. He has authority over the devil and his demons. Mark 1, they said of him, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. (laughs) Is someone possessed or enslaved by demonic powers? Jesus can free them. Are you opposed by the devil and demonic powers? Jesus can destroy that opposition because he has authority to do it. He has authority over every ruler on earth. In Matthew 26, he said to the Jewish rulers right before his crucifixion, I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man ascended at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is right now seated on a throne over this world. Nothing can happen in any political realm that he does not allow for his ultimate purposes. And nobody can do anything apart from his permission. He has authority, this is the last one, to save believers and condemn non-believers. In Matthew 9, he said, The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In John 5, he said, The Father has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. All of that is what it means for Jesus to have all authority in heaven and on earth. It is complete authority for him to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you go out with that authority when you go and make disciples. It's not your authority. It's his. You're the ambassador. You're the messenger. You're bringing his word to the people that he rules over. They may or may not like his rule. They may not respond to his rule in obedience, but he rules over them and you're just communicating. You must bow to this Jesus. And that's where life is, so that's not a bad thing. (laughs) But he's the king. Like Mr. Beaver said to Susan in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. He's the king, I tell you. (laughs) This is encouragement to us, friends, because you're on the king's side when you go out to try and help people meet Jesus. And your going won't be fruitless when you encounter anybody that Jesus has marked for salvation. He said, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's John 6.39. Many people won't believe the gospel. Many won't be changed. But the ones the Father has given to Jesus will be raised up. And you may meet them. God willing, you will meet them. Somewhere 
as we're going and making disciples. So one of the things that we are doing in our Friday night worships is we are appealing to the Lord's authority. We are seeking God for our personal renewal. That's the inlet. But we're also seeking God for power to go forth in mission. That's the outlet. We're praying for people. We're praying for opposition to be brought down. We're praying for signs and wonders. We're praying for him to use his authority to cast out demons or to do miracles or whatever it takes until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what we do on a Friday night. I hope you can make the next one. We pray like the disciples did in Acts 4. They said, Sovereign Lord. Talking to about authority there. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Servant Jesus. That's what we're asking God to do. Stretch out your hand and bring people to Christ. And in our secular, our secular culture, who knows, maybe it's going to take miracles to get people's attention. God only knows. But we can ask him for it. He sends us with his full authority. One more thing that will give us courage to go and make disciples is knowing that Jesus goes with us. Jesus goes with us. The one who has all authority goes with us. Verse 20, Behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. That may be the most personally helpful one of all for our souls, for our hearts. Because the hardest thing about making a move toward telling non-believers about Jesus is when you feel like you're doing it all alone. And you know you're not adequate. <laughs> In fact, you aren't adequate. <laughs> just like me. And surprisingly, just like the apostles. Because in verse 17 it says, When they, that is the eleven disciples, saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some of the apostles doubted. These guys, even though they'd been trained by Jesus for three years, even though they'd now seen him resurrected to life, they're still processing what's going on. They still have doubts reservations, questions. Is this really what it looks like? And do you really mean to pass the baton on to me? <laughs> they weren't ready to go out into the world. But what happened to change all that? Acts 1.8 You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, the power for witness for going and making disciples is not your power. We're not adequate, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus poured out upon his church at the beginning in Pentecost. It's Jesus who goes with us by his Spirit. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us by his Spirit. Every day, every hour, every situation, every trial and temptation, every victory, every triumph, to the end of the age, his empowering presence is with us. That's comforting. That helps. 
We don't just go and make disciples with ourselves and all of our limitations. We go with all of our limitations and we go with Jesus who has all authority in heaven and earth and who can destroy all opposition if that's what he wants to do. We don't have to make people Christians. Jesus makes them Christians. He wants us to just be faithful and go and tell. And he will by his spirit as he deems best. I want to close with some practical steps we can take to be involved in going and making disciples. Motivations are good, but tell me what's the next step. So here we go. We'll we'll do something real practical here. We have some material that we have out there in the lobby, and it's called the C4 strategy for helping people meet Jesus. So if I could get a picture of that flyer up there. I don't know if that is. There you go. C4. Look at that. Savannah put this together. We borrowed it from our church in Sydney, Australia, actually, and we took their picture of Sydney and replaced it with our picture of Denver and some other changes that we made to make it more American and less Aussie. Um, This isn't some secret formula for evangelism. This is just describing a process that has always been the normal process of meeting somebody, caring about them, building a relationship, and speaking to them about Jesus. That's all it is. It's just describing steps that are just the natural thing about being humans together and caring about each other and bringing good news to those people. So I want to just talk through this. It's in a flyer, and there's flyers out there for you to take. There are little cards about yay big. Um, The first step is just connect. There's four C's, connect, care, communicate, and commit. That's the four C's. The first one is connect. That just means taking the initiative to meet somebody. You know, an office worker, a neighbor, somebody you're sitting next to on a plane, everything starts with you just taking an interest in another person and starting up a conversation, right? It's, it's You ask something like, so what did you do over the weekend? This is normal talk, something like that. Now, we are seeking ways for our church to be involved corporately together in some kind of consistent way in Aurora to meet non-believers and build those relationships. And we don't have that all figured out yet, but we have some events on the calendar. But this is more about your day-to-day. You know, you're in this world. There's people that you bump into that are not believers. We take the first step. We say a question. What did you do over the weekend? Something like that. You connect. The next thing you do is you care. You seek to be a blessing to that person. This is about inviting somebody over for dinner or a game night, maybe offering to run an errand, maybe asking, can I pray for you about that? It's just doing something tangible that says, you matter. You matter to me, you matter to God. And so I care about you. Maybe many efforts to talk about Jesus fail because we skip that. Maybe we think of evangelism as just working up the courage to blurt out a message to somebody. You know, we got to think, ah, great, I finally did it. And that person on the other side is thinking, what what just happened? You know, what is that? It's just coming out of nowhere. 
but we're supposed to care before we blurt. <laughs> They're not just a project. You're not a salesman trying to get a sale. This is a real person here. Don't forget, Jesus didn't only preach. He also healed. He also ate in homes. He, he also said to the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 21, looking at him, loved him. This is how Mark reports it. Looking at this rich young ruler who said, what must I do to be saved? He's looking at him and it says he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He felt a love for the man, though he turned his back eventually and said no thanks but he loved that man and then he said follow me i think we take a cue from that this is what god wants us to do actually care for people whether or not they become christians because they're made in god's image therefore they deserve that kind of respect and love and reaching out love them as people not just as a project. Third step, communicate. At some point, you need to bring, pe- bring Jesus into the conversation. <laughs> At some point, you need to let people know who he is and what he came to do. That's the part of the process that crosses the pain line. That's how Rico Tice calls it in his book, Honest Evangelism. We went through that in our discipleship community. There's this pain when you finally bring up Jesus that we fear, right? I'm going to get hit somehow. (laughs) Uh, They're going to reject me. They're not going to like it. They're going to laugh. I'm going to get in trouble. All these things are going through our mind, and there's that thing that you have to push through, this line you cross where you open your mouth and you say gospel things. (laughs) We have to do it, but the Holy Spirit will help us. There's no getting around it. Talking about Jesus involves some risk. But if we've connected, if we've cared, if there's a platform of relationship, much less likely that you're going to be hit. It'll be in the context of relationship. It'll make sense. I care about you, and I know this, which you need to know. So that's why I'm talking about it. I find it helpful to just have a question that opens the door to conversation. Do you have any spiritual background? Um, do you have any religious faith? And they might say, no, I don't. And you say, well, tell me more. Why not? Maybe they had a really bad experience in a church or something. Um, maybe they do have a religious faith, and you can ask more questions about that. And then, well, can I tell you about what I've found? See, it just opens the door. Once you get on the conversation, it gets easier. But just getting to it, I find it helpful to ask a question like, do you have any spiritual background? But you got to do that. you got to somehow communicate. The last step is commit, meaning invite them to commit to following Jesus. At some point, you have to say, you know, if Jesus is who he says he is, if there's resurrection, you need to believe in him. (laughs) Do you? There has to be that point of asking. So those are the four steps, and we have the flyers out there for you to take home. Um, it could take a week to go through these, these steps with somebody. It could take several years. But are we on the process? 
Are we going and making disciples? And I just want to encourage you, this is how Jeff Roska came into the kingdom through a process like this. He gave me permission to talk about this a little bit. Um, it was like how many years ago when we watched that Packer game together? It was a Super Bowl, right? Ancient history. Eight years ago? <clears throat> so he came to our house for a Super Bowl party. Um, and then that, that was the connection point. And then, and then it led, led to uh, let's watch more Packer games because um, uh, we're both from Wisconsin, so that's fun. And then it led to hiking. So a friendship develops. There's care there. And then after that, there's the questions. We're on these long drives out to the mountains, and we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about faith. We're talking about things. And then eventually, we start to read it together. We read through Gospel of Mark. We read through John. We started to read through Acts. And somewhere in that whole process of years... He committed his life to Jesus. So just for your encouragement, God is at work that way. God loves to work that way through your genuine going to people that you genuinely care about. Not everybody will respond that way. It's up to the Holy Spirit. But there are those who will. <laughs> but we won't meet him if we don't open our mouth. Let me just close with this. I know it seems easier and maybe more comfortable to have an inlet but no outlet in our Christian lives. It's safer to take in and scary to go out to move toward people in service and witness. But remember, this is a way the Lord wants to bless you, for you to be like the Sea of Galilee and not like the Dead Sea, for you to be fruitful, for you to experience the joy that the... That, that is spoken of in Luke, you know, when the, when the woman finds her lost coin and she rejoices with her friends. And he says there's, this, there's joy in heaven before the angels of God for every sinner who repents. So this is for our joy to be a part of a process that leads to people going from death to life. And that is an encouragement to our soul. If you feel lifeless, <clears throat> I tell you what, if you get a taste of that, you won't feel that way anymore. And you'll want more. So may the Lord give us his help. There's these little cards that I forgot to mention. Um, could I just have those cards put up there real quick? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> There's four lines on the bottom one there. Take one of these. It's a place to write the names of people that you want to start praying for to come into the kingdom. And you pray for those people that, not just people that you know somewhere, someplace, people that are actually in your life that you can become the answer to your own prayer for. <laughs> people you're going to be speaking to, your neighbor, your coworker, people like that. You write their name down, you pray for them, and you're asking God, bring this person to faith, and what is my role? Help me to be faithful to help them come to Christ. So these are things that you can take home, write down names, talk about in your discipleship groups, encourage each other, pray for the names together. We would encourage that. May God help us. <laughs> May we have joy and our joy increase as we have an outlet and not only an inlet. Let's pray. Lord, you're building your church you invite us to be a part of it. A lot of things stop us from that effort of going out. 
Show us our, our particular path, our particular way. Point out to us the people that you would have us approach. Remind us how good this news is. How good it is and how right it is to tell other people about that news. And Lord, would you give us fruit? Would you give us converts? Would you build your church? Would you put in the seats here people who are being saved through our witness? And help us, Lord, to strengthen each other and remind each other of your good news for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.